This episode of the podcast is brought to you by living a normal, noble life. Finding a girl, getting a good job, getting married, buying a house together, having a few kids, and then retiring at 65. And then realizing that your wife of 45 years was actually a raw, uncooked chicken. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Roll the Credits, the podcast. I'm Frank. I'm Zach. And today we are doing our top 10 films of all time. Oh boy. So this before we get rough. into it, um, starting, starting, I, I said that last episode that we have a little bit of, a, of an announcement. Um, so I think we should say it now mm-hmm. in case you don't really listen to the entire thing up until the last second and then you miss the announcement. Um, so just so the kids in the back can hear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Zach and I have divorced. Yeah. <laughs> no, so Zach and I have discussed and we are going to change up the format. You're still going to have two episodes a week every Monday and Friday. Um, but instead of two films a week, generally, there might there might be a week or whatever every once in a while that we do two movies in a row. But um, generally, we're going to do one film a week and then one film topic a mm-hmm. week. So reviewing a movie and then discussing uh on just a general film topic whatever it may be so like something that we were discussing was like uh you know our our most favorite villains in in films mm-hmm. or whatever it is and just things like that uh just cuz we kind of want to break it up a little bit kind of like i think venture out into some more Things. I mean, I don't know. It gets a little repetitive just re- re- reviewing a film every single week, and you know, it's always a movie. It's always a movie. Yeah. Um, and I think like kind of like breaking that up and and just having like more discussions uh, that are about the industry and just about movies in general, and not confining it to you have to watch a movie every single week and blah 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 blah. Um, yeah, because those who like actually watch the movies with us, like you know, watching yeah. two movies a week on top of like a busy schedule isn't always like the easiest thing to yeah. do. So uh, that's that's uh, that, that's what to look forward to in 2021. We're gonna be uh, just changing up a little bit, changing up the format, whatever, um, and just. But like I said, you're still gonna get two episodes a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, uh, our top ten films of all times. This this, this was, was this is difficult, right? This is this is hard. I um, think this was harder than the directors and also the actors. Yeah, because like you can really kind of like just pinpoint of like. Okay, like directors as a whole, like what have they made that we really love? Yeah. Actors as a whole, like what have they done? But like to say that, like you know, we have movies that have stuck with us throughout our lives, and like even after doing this podcast for like what two years now? Yeah, about yeah. yeah. We've been doing it for two years. Um, and seeing all the movies that we have, saying that like okay, these are the ones that stuck with us. Yeah, that's def- rough. It, 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 yeah, <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't easy. Um. And of course, this is a 110% biased choice. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not saying that the films that we are choosing are the greatest films ever made. We are not saying that they they might not have you know a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. They they might not be technically the best or whatever. But these are just these are the films ones that, that stuck with yeah, us. Yeah, and just films that we love in general. So again, it might not be the greatest film of all time, but it's just 
our personal favorites. And if you want, on our Instagram or Facebook page, send just us leave nudes. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly nudes. But no, if you want to leave like comments of like what your guys' top 10 movies are, that would yes. be really cool just to know. Yeah. Um, so who, who wants to start? You want to start or do you want me to start? It's your episode. You start. All right. So, number 10. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a film that, from childhood, I... I just could not get enough of it, mm-hmm. and a film that to this day, every time I watch it, I still just love it as much as I did as I was a kid, um, and that of course is 1939's The Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? Directed by Victor Fleming. Um, this is a movie for me that pretty much defined my childhood. Like, mm. so I missed the I think I've said this on the podcast before but I've kind of missed the the whole era of Disney like yeah. I I haven't seen pretty much any of your Disney classics but for me The Wizard of Oz was like my go-to movie my I remember well I don't remember but uh I was told that when I was a kid we had it on VHS and my parents uh I pretty much would just watch it like 24/7 to the point where I actually ended up breaking the 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 vcr oh really? because all I, I would play it watch the whole thing and then rewind it and then play it again and then watch the whole thing and then rewind <laughs> it and then play it again um yeah and you know it's kind of a unique choice for me because this isn't my my go-to style of film like the whole idea of like a mythical kind of land yeah, and it's not all really that your forte. is not my is not really my thing i always kind of like films that are based in reality um, or and if it's not based in reality, at least it's a story that feels realistic. This feels yeah. realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that, um, but yeah, I mean, one hundred percent easily needed to be in my top ten mm-hmm. was the Wizard of Oz. I mean, the transition from, is always the best dude, too. It, from I, like I wish I showed black and gray to color. Yeah, so like that I, was a huge thing when it came out. Yeah, I showed uh, my girlfriend's nephew the Wizard of Oz, and I was like, I was like, listen, kid. You are about to see one of the most famous and important transitions in all of film history. And it's, of course, when she opens that door mm-hmm. and everything turns to color. And he just did not appreciate it as much <laughs> as I wanted him to. And my girlfriend actually never fully saw it. And mm. I don't know, man. It's just one of those things that it, it might not be the greatest film and it might not be... And especially it being a musical, like mm. not my go-to thing. Like I don't love musicals, yeah. but the songs that are in it, it this is a hundred percent of film that is like just steeped in nostalgia for me mm-hmm. that finally something where it's like, Hey, this is from my childhood for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a film that is just the songs every time they come on, I just can't help but sing along to them. Mm. And again, they might not be the greatest songs, but I just, it's just my, it's my childhood. And, uh, obviously the most, you know, there's so many iconic things about the movie. Mm -hmm. I'll get you my pretty, you know, tapping, you know, the red slippers, Mm -hmm. the tin man, the scarecrow, the cowardly lion. I mean, it's like, even if you've never seen this film, you know, exactly, you know what it is and you know, these characters and you can quote a line from it. There's no place like home. Like all of these things are just so iconic. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those movies that is a delight from start to finish for me, and I, I just absolutely love it. In my opinion, too, it still holds up. Yeah, I mean, all of it. I mean, there's, you know, all the practical effects are great. The it's I, One of my favorite things to look at now is when you, when they have, like, the kind of, like, the wider shots, 
you can see like the backdrop that they have is like pan painted and it's yeah. just like mountains and stuff oh, in the I background. Love that. But I it's love still that. just so cool to see. Mm-hmm. I love it. I really do. Follow the Yellow Brick Road. Yep. It's like Follow <laughs> come that on. Yellow Brick like, Road, man. It's the best. <laughs> like it's the best. Um so that that had to it had to be my top ten. Um but I don't know. It's just it's 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 so iconic for mm-hmm. me. So yeah, number ten is cool. Wizard of Oz. So my number ten very different from yours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like the nostalgia aspect to it. Um, for me, it was more of like when I became more of an adult, like teenager-esque. Okay. Um, and I've said this on the podcast before where it's like I would, for like two months, like it would just come on like every week and I would just watch it and just love sitting there and watching it. And to put it at number 10, like it had to be there at least in top 10. Um, and that is 1998's The Big Lebowski. The Coen Brothers. Yeah. Jeff yeah. Bridges, Steve Buscemi, John Goodman. Like, they're just such iconic characters in this film. And to have, like, this weird story where it's literally a bowling movie. But yeah, it's not, but it's not. <laughs> it's not really about bowling. And it's more of just, like, this guy who just doesn't really have the best luck. And is getting mixed up with another guy. Has the same name. Yeah. (laughs) And now he's thrown into this mix of, like, trying to find, like, this daughter. And then also just trying to get his stuff back and just live his life, like, how he wants to live it. And just fucking smoke weed and drink white Russian and then just live his life. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Like, Jeff Bridges, like, really sells this character so well. Yeah. And to have, like, such an iconic look of literally just a guy who's fat with a beard and long hair (laughs) wearing a robe and boxers and like that is always something where it's like whenever this movie comes on i have to watch it and that incredible acid trip scene oh yeah (laughs) and then this was too where like i i ended up really loving the songs in it too yeah um because again like that acid trip where it's like he's bowling and, like, it's all of the women just, like, as pins. Yeah. It's such a cool shot. Yeah. And then, like, him, like, just, like, floating and then turning upside down and looking up all their skirts. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an iconic shot from the it, film. It's, it's a great movie. John Goodman's character in that movie is so fucking, oh, yeah. like, just crazy and just, <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it is a good movie. I know. The Dude Abides. Yeah. Dude Abides. The Dude Abides. Um, number nine. So, my number nine is also a Coen Brothers film. Oh, really? Uh, and that, of course, is 2007's No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Um, I think that, for me, this, this for me, is my favorite Coen Brothers film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intensity that it gives me. The, the heart poundingness, the sweating that I'm getting. When, sugar. Sugar. <laughs> when... Um, when when your main character is being chased mm-hmm. is just unlike any other film for me mm-hmm. um and i love i love a western obviously yeah. and although this isn't a western in in a traditional fe- uh sense this is a modern day western this is a this is somebody who lives in you know it's it's a it's a cowboy but it's a modern day cowboy mm-hmm. and the whole you know premise of him being tracked by this man who is fucking terrifying. Like the, the way that he speaks and 
the the you know the iconic uh you know choose you know uh, heads or tails and you you have to pick oh, yeah. your thing you know pick pick heads or tails and, and that fucking what is it like the air the air canister oh. gun that is like you can't even trace it because it's just compressed it's air, air. <laughs> like there's nothing to trace um it is undoubtedly a film that anytime it comes on I have to sit down and watch it because the characters are so iconic Javier Bardem with that awful haircut I know, is incredible. But still, it just <laughs> Josh Brolin looks Josh great Brolin's in it too. Josh Brolin's fucking fantastic in the movie. And I mean, like, like when he gets, sh- when he ends up, when they end up actually having like their little bit of an altercation and chasing each other and they both end up getting shot mm-hmm. and Javier gets shot and he ends up like, he does that really intelligent thing of, uh, blowing up that car and then going into the pharmaceutical uh, drugstore and like getting all the stuff and then perform like pu- you know t- uh, pulling the bullet out of his own oh. leg. I mean, it's so fucking iconic. And then the thing that you didn't like about it is one thing that I love about it is how like once you get to the end, it is so anticlimactic. Yeah, and all of a sudden he's just dead, mm-hmm. and you're just like, what? Like, yeah, like what I wanted what more. Happened? Yeah, and for like. For a film, and although you know it's based off of the off of a book, but for you know that's something that that you would think that a filmmaker would say, "Hey, we we gotta change this." Mm-hmm. Like we we you know as a film, like we wanna like give this a more theatrical kind of climactic ending, mm-hmm. and for them to say, "No, let's stay true to the book," and and just not give them what you know what they want, it makes you just wonder like what happened how did we get here and it's just a, and, and you're never gonna know yeah and it's just great and i mean at the end the car accident at the end is cr- like it's just a film that and just sugar just walking away yeah it's i mean so it, cool it's really really a fucking iconic film um so i mean it had to be in my top 10 absolutely 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 all right number nine for me 2015's mad max fury road okay. i know you're not like okay. the biggest yeah, fan of it. mad max fury road but just when it came out, because I was a huge fan of like Mad Max in general, I thought the concept was really cool. Um, not so much Mel Gibson himself, but for reasons, reasons <laughs> we'll say it bluntly. Um, but the idea of like post-apocalyptic worlds has always like appealed to me. Yeah, and for this genre to basically be like all about driving, like this is just like. It's basically all desert, and this is just, like, how they have to survive. Um, I thought this was probably one of the better Tom Hardy performances, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Tom Hardy is a very weird character. I want to like him, but I find myself, like, finding things often where it's like, what are you doing? You mean him as an actor? Yeah, just mush mouth a little bit. Always that mush mouth. He's always got that famous Tom Hardy mumble. You're just like, what? (laughs) But I love... One about this film is the color choices of everything. Yeah. Um, how it's just a nonstop, like, heart-pounding, like, action. Like, this is, we're going to drive, and we're going to punch, and we're going to shoot, and we're going <laughs> to yeah. drive again. It's very video game-esque. <laughs> yes. And then, at the same time, too, it's just basically all visual storytelling. Yeah. Um, and it has some of the best cinematography that I thought I had seen ever in, like, 2015. Yeah. So Mad Max Fury Road had to be on there. Yeah, I I recognize that I'm in the minority of like people who don't like that movie because like universally like so many people love it. Um, I don't know. I think it's just for me, it's just the plot and yeah. the lack thereof is, and it's I don't know. Like it, I do kind of find that film exhausting, where it's just like yeah. it's just nonstop go 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 go. 
Um, but you know, I mean, but it's every, awesome though. It, 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 is. it is. It's cool. Like mm-hmm. visually, it's stunning, mm-hmm. and I mean, the action sequences are really, really great. So uh, I, I completely understand that choice. Thank you. All right, number eight. So I needed. It, it, it has to be, of course, me being a Italian American man. This film needs to be, and it's probably actually not what you're thinking. I'm going to say, is it Scarface? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh. um, this is of course 1990s Goodfellas. Yeah, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Um, my other, the other mob film that you're thinking is also on the list, mm-hmm. but it's higher up. Um, and this film, Goodfellas, from the start, feels like Martin Scorsese at his fucking best. Like. The, the the most iconic, like, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a gangster. And mm-hmm. just the music that starts going. And, I mean, De Niro just being De Niro. Like, De yeah. Niro being the coolest fucking guy in the room. Because Ray Liotta, he, because he is. Yeah, Ray, Ray Liotta, Liotta really makes the movie. Yeah. Uh, and just, there's so many iconic scenes. You know, when he wakes up in the un, in the middle of the, or in the morning. And, mm-hmm. she, and his wife's got the gun pointed right at his oh. fucking face. Uh, the digging, the the burying of the bodies. You think I'm a clown? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it, funny how. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it is so iconic. And the only reason why I think it's a little bit higher, or it's a little bit lower, I guess technically up on my list, is that it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's a little. It's it's it has like comedy in it, which is enjoyable. But I I find that I kind of want my mob films to be pretty serious. Yeah, and uh, it did come out like roughly around the same time as Godfather, didn't it? Where it's well, like, not the original, no. Okay. The original's in the seventies, so okay. this one's in the nineties. Yeah, but it came out like roughly around like one of the Godfathers, and to have where it's like you know you have the Godfather, which is more serious, and then you have Goodfellas, which is more kind of like yeah, you have Godfather Part Three, which came out in in uh, in the nineties, but no, I don't recognize that movie. Nope, mm-hmm. not good. <laughs> apparently though, apparently they they're doing they did a recut. Like Fra- Francis Ford Coppola came out mm-hmm. and like re-edited it and like added some scenes and stuff, and apparently it's much better now. Huh. Like he literally just released that like as of the recording of this, like maybe a week ago. That's what Ridley Scott. Just recently did too with Prometheus, which you know what I kind of want to do Prometheus because apparently it's a Christmas movie. Oh well, (laughs) wait. Some people are saying now that it's a Christmas movie, and I just don't believe that because it's alien. I don't know about that. I don't know. I it was lukewarm for me when I first saw it. Maybe maybe rewatching it. I thought it was cool. I mean, it's just. Like it's a trilogy, so yeah. like you know, you I haven't had seen nothing. any of the other ones. Oh, really? <laughs> I only saw Prometheus, <laughs> but I thought Prometheus was cool. It was alright. Yeah, um, but yeah, but yeah back one hundred percent. Goodfellas, man, is like Scorsese had to be in my top ten list. And mm-hmm. what I was going like an honorable mention for me that didn't make the cut was um, Gangs of New York. Oh yeah, I, I just couldn't put it in because there's just too much Cameron Diaz in that film, and and <laughs> and she, like her character and the whole like love interest thing was just like not. It, I, I just don't care. Like, you're starting to derail that movie for, like, the incredibleness that it is. Yeah. Um, but I had to choose a Scorsese film, and it had to be Goodfellas for me. Yeah. It's so iconic. Absolutely. Um, my number eight also came out in 2015, and it works so well, is The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. Yep. I, I truly believe that this is one of the best films that he's made. And it sucks, again, just, like, putting it so low on the list. Because there are more films that, like, I've just fallen in love with 
as like a child into an adult. Yeah. Um, but Hateful Eight always stuck with me where it's like it's one of my top three favorite films that Quentin Tarantino's ever done. Yeah. Just because of like how isolated it is. And you have such great performances by such great actors in the film that like really set the tone for what's going to happen. And it's all just this Western mystery that is a genre that you don't get that often. And when you do, it usually isn't that great. Yeah. And Tarantino always ends up making like such a film that works with such a weird plot line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Hateful Eight for me is another one that didn't make the list, but an honorable, an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the best. Yeah. It's like every, I, I the thing about that film and it, it's so weird for me is that I always forget how fucking good it is. Yes. Like I, I, I watch it and I love it and then like I won't watch it for like months and I'm just like the hateful Eight's pretty good and then <laughs> and then I put it on mm-hmm. and then from that opening shot the music that he that that the score that's for that film and those beautiful shots the snow the the the, the Jesus crucified on the cross oh, yeah and like just like the the, the wagon going mm-hmm. through with the horses I mean as soon as that comes on you're, I'm, I'm just like it's fucking, I'm like it's incredible like yeah. it really is you forget about how long it is and you just you're enthralled I'm, by I'm it. I'm with it 100%. Yeah, good choice. I like Thank that you. a lot. What's um, your number seven? So number seven is a film that I saw a, kind of a, a little bit later in my life. Mm. Um, and and I'm actually kind of glad I saw it later in my life because I don't think that if I saw it when I was younger and my brain wasn't developed to like <laughs> to wear it. Like, Your brain is mushed as a kid. Yeah, so like I just don't think I would have nearly been able to appreciate it as like a 16-year-old, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course... I am talking about 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. I knew that was going to be on your list somewhere. It has to be. It has yeah. to be. I'm so, surprised it's so low. So I, I have a reason as for why. Okay. Um, and the reason being that it's lower on my list is because one of the factors that I, that I chose on how I was going to rate these films for me is accessibility. And... Although I would say all of the films that I'm choosing require you to be, you know, committed to watching it, mm-hmm. 2001 requires a, lot. a special <laughs> type of like yeah. commitment to the film. You got to be like prepping yourself ready yeah. to watch this it's film. It's not a film that you can just throw on mm-hmm. and use as like background noise or, you know, like it, it's a movie that you really have to 110% commit to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I remember watching this film. It was the first time I I bought it on Blu-ray and I never saw it before, but I knew I was like, it's an iconic film that I just never have seen. Like I need to purchase it. And I ended up getting like a Kubrick kind of, uh, like whatever, like a trilogy of like films of his. It's like, it was like, uh, I think it was like the shining 2001 and something else, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let me, let me watch, let me watch a 2001. So it was like, I bought a, I had a 4k TV. So uh, I was like, all right, like I, I'm going to watch this thing in 4K. It's going to be in Blu-ray. It's going to be like, you know, beautiful. And I had like at the time I had like these tower speakers. So it was just like crazy, ridiculous audio. And by the it's it's one of those films that by the end of it, if you really commit to it, mm-hmm. you are just at a loss of words and you kind of just need to sit there for a moment. And just what did I just see? And you have to process like what it all means. And 110% I stand by this movie being 
probably the best looking film mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Like the the way that the ships look and everything's practical and it it holds up today. The and monolith it, itself. It, the like, mo- it's so iconic. The mm-hmm. music, the the baby at the end. Yep. Like everything is just so incredible and so infamous that like the suit itself. Yeah. Like it's just so well known. The fucking scene where Frank gets killed and he's just floating in oh. space and his and his yellow suit is just in all this blackness. Yep. I mean, it is it is gorgeous. I, to this day, I, I still believe that it is the greatest looking film I've ever seen. And like, I remember I told that to somebody and they were like, you mean like for the time, right? And I was like, no, nope, no, 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 just no. in general. Like, just a 100% like the best looking film I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Kubrick had to make the list. Absolutely. Um, but it is higher up. It, it, it is lower on my list only because of it's just, I just don't find it as easily accessible and as as you would say like user friendly like it's yeah. just one of those things that you really have to like okay i'm gonna commit three and a half hours to this or whatever yeah. however long it is absolutely um, but yeah so 2001 a space odyssey my number seven is gonna be a little underwhelming compared to 2001 but i picked uh 2019's the lighthouse oh okay yeah of course i, I mean and it's lower on the list just because like it is a newer film yeah. In my opinion, like we have to see like how it ages over the yeah. years. Um, but I remember like when it first came out and we both went to see it and we were just like in love with this film. I mean, it was like it's the rare moment where you and I went and we were like we've already seen it. Let's go to the theater and see it again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's crazy because it's like, you know, Robert Edgar's only has like the two films and while I do believe that like his debut film of the witch is fantastic yeah um we both agree on that there's something about the lighthouse where it appeals to me more of that like lovecraftian like sailor vibe to it Mm -hmm. which i just always am infatuated with um just because i like the deep dark creepy shit yeah and having such a tight-knit cast of robert pattinson and Willem Dafoe like just work so well together where they really bounced off each other to create this story that is enticing and scary and intriguing and like I want to see what happens next with them all while doing it in black and gray and what was it like 18 millimeter lens um, thing? no uh, 35 millimeter yeah yeah 35 millimeter film that like really boxy aspect ratio yeah. yeah and just bringing it back to like almost like a 1930s looking film yeah it, it just it sits with me and you know i've seen it like maybe 10 times at this point in like the year that it's been out yeah, no, and it's, it's it, it just holds every time up. you watch it mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent, i agree i mean it's just it's an iconic mo- i think it's like kind of like an instant classic you yeah. know um the dialogue like it, the one thing i recommend if you're not super familiar with robert eggers is really go watch his um his like interviews that he does and and his just like yeah like a lot of like interviews and conferences that he holds uh because the way that he you you really see like how much research he does into into his films and and like just the dialogue alone like he did years and years of research of just learning how they would talk and it's like okay these characters are going to talk like this this is how they spoke back in the day but they're not really like as educated so mm-hmm. like so okay so how, now what is an uneducated person talk like mm-hmm. back at like then okay so now what is an uneducated wiki 
back then talk like and it's just he just like keeps layering it on top yeah. of him top and top and and i mean it's literally like to the point where it's like you know do they do they roll their r's or do they not it's mm-hmm. like 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 that type of detail i mean 100 percent, he is just i think gonna go down in history as one of, one of the most generations detailed best. yeah for directors. sure like just incredible mm-hmm. i i agree um okay number six number six kind of maybe a surprise mm-hmm. uh, especially that it's uh, above 2001 but for just again like accessibility um i am choosing 2014's whiplash by damien chazelle oh, okay yeah uh for me i think whiplash is a masterpiece mm-hmm. of a film uh i think that I, i'm a little biased because it's it's talking about jazz yeah and uh, it's chaotic jazz which, it, you and like. it, which is like 100 percent my thing <laughs> um and the characters for me are incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, J.K. What's his name? J.K. J.K. Simmons Rawlings or J.K. J.K. Simmons? <laughs> yeah, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> uh, J.K. Simmons as this fucking dickhead teacher that is a manipulative kind of just piece of shit. Yeah, and but you also just can't help but love him yeah because he's that teacher where it's like he's such a hard ass but you know at the end he's pushing you to like fully you're going to be great Mm -hmm. and i think at the i mean dude like the whole thing of like the car accident and him still just being like i need to get here i need to get here just to fucking prove to this guy Mm -hmm. that he's not you know, worthless. Yeah. And then at the end when he ends up like kind of screwing him over and then he comes back and then he ends up keep going. And then you realize like, wait a minute, he He actually, he actually all of this trial and you know, all of this horribleness that has happened has actually made the character that Miles Teller is playing one of the greatest drummers ever Mm -hmm. now. And the whole idea of that and breaking somebody to a point in which all they think and breathe and live is music is heartbreaking, but also incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's always like from when we did it, like it was just such an intense film of like the amount of passion that people will go to, to destroy their entire lives for something that they know they can be the best at. And then it's like, okay, like to what degree, like you did this because you love it and now you don't even like it anymore, Mm -hmm. but you're still just doing it because you need to now. And you feel like you have, you have a point to, to prove. So you're doing it to the point where like you're literally your hands are bleeding and you can't even hold your drumsticks properly anymore, but you just keep doing it to prove a point. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there is, it's 100% my favorite film that is based around music. Absolutely. That isn't a musical, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Whiplash. All right. So my pick for number six is 1999's Fight Club. David Fincher. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's so iconic with Tyler Durden and like with, with Edward Norton and in my opinion, my probably second favorite performance from Brad Pitt. What's your um, first? Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just such like this iconic film of you go through this entire film and then at the end it's such like a fucking it, it's such a shock to what actually has been going on the entire time. Yeah. And 
there's just something about it where it's like it's a movie where you know after watching it the first time you know what's going to happen but you're still like enthralled by it to like see the little like pickup points where it's like okay you can see like Tyler just showing up out of nowhere for like a split second yeah and like going through the story and noticing now these little like nuances of like okay David Fincher actually told you five minutes into the film what's going on yeah and you just chose not to believe it yeah yeah and there's a lot of films where it's like you know they reveal like a huge surprise at the end and it doesn't have that rewatchability factor to it because you know what's going to happen and Fight Club has always been that film for me where it's like it doesn't matter that I know what's going to happen I'm actually excited to see that it's going to happen yeah. So Fight Club had to Fight make Club the list. is probably my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies to show somebody who's never seen it because it's a film that I think we said this in our review of it, but it's a movie that if you haven't seen it, you feel like you've seen it mm-hmm. and you think you know exactly what you're getting into and you actually have no fucking idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. it's re- it's a it's a really fun movie to show somebody who is who actually has never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um all right. So now we're in the top 5. Yeah. This, this is, is uh, where it gets like real nitty-gritty yeah, shit. Um so my number five, and you actually might be maybe a little disappointed, but uh, fuck you. Uh, and I am talking about 2013's Her by Spike Jones. Oh, why would I be disappointed in that? I don't know. I just felt like... I love Her. Yeah. I so, think Joaquin Phoenix is just fantastic in the film. Yeah. I think... I, I call Her visual poetry. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the dialogue is... It's some of my favorite dialogue in all of film. The color grading, the neon, just, just the lighting of the film, the 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 not so distant future. Like it, it, it actually seems tangible. Like that, this yeah. is kind of realistic. Um, and then, of course, the the general plot of of a man who falls in love with. Essentially a fucking like a Siri or an Alexa, but she's so intelligent that you realize like I too love her. Like (laughs) I know. I've never like never in a film have I been more just like I'm in love with a voice. Yeah, right? And it's just it, it it makes you realize just how how simple and how little it takes for a human to be infatuated and fall in love with something that he's never even physically seen. Yeah. Like it really is 100% based on like personality and, and just, you know, the conversations because this movie's deep. Like they have, they go into like these deep conversations and, and they have sex. They do have sex. <laughs> and I just, I love it. It's a little weird. Like there are certain scenes that are like, I don't know if I like the whole, like choke me with the dead cat. Like that yeah. scene is odd, <laughs> but like, like looking past that, like there's just so much to love about the the movie, the music choices, Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal of this guy who's like really just kind of like this hopeful romantic, and 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 then him divorcing his wife and her finding out that he's falling in love with a computer, and her like kind of being like, "Are you fucking serious?" And then him saying like, "You don't understand," and then and then realizing that Samantha is actually in love with like 8,000 other men she's talking to. I mean, the movie is heartbreaking. It is. But I literally, like this film for me is 100% just poetry in, in the form of film. And, uh, I, I had, it's by far hands down 
my favorite romance film. It's not my, like romance is not my go-to movie at all, but uh, but this movie I was completely blown away by, mm. and uh, I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, um, you'll probably be disappointed with my number five, but it's 1987's Sam Raimi's Evil Dead Two. No, I'm not disappointed. It didn't make my top ten. Oh, really? It, I, it's my it's in, it's in my honorable mentions, and it's mm. specifically number two as well. But okay, it, I, I just I couldn't put it in there. I was like, I just don't know if I can put it in here. I I went back and forth for like. A good two days like seeing like where i can actually fit it and like it can't be low like it can't be higher than this on like my top favorites but it definitely has to be on there somewhere yeah and we've talked about it like just to nausea <laughs> yeah just, like i'm not gonna go like fully fully into it because we've had like so many discussions on evil dead 2 already but yeah. like it's just so iconic it just blended so well, like horror and comedy together. Yeah. And it's the catalyst for our friendship. Literally, so, I mean, like, we have matching Evil Dead 2 tattoos. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> it, to me, it had to be on there, just not so much even two for, like, my criteria of rewatchability, because, like, obviously, this is rewatchable. Yeah. Um, but even so, like, nostalgia, like, it, it's. I found it at, like, a weird place in my life where it's, like, yeah. I didn't find it as a kid. I found it more as an adult. But, like, just, again, the catalyst for us was, like, what I felt like I had to put it in somewhere. Yeah, I I, re- I had a hard time not putting it in. Yeah. But I just had all these other movies, and I'm just, like, Sam, I'm sorry. Like, I, I can't do it. Like, Sounds more you- like I'm a better friend than you are now. <laughs> <laughs> I just could not. I don't know, man. It was so hard to not put it in there. But, I mean... Once you're getting to like your top five, it's, it's like rough. It's really rough. But uh, there are some movies like coming up where it's like I really wanted to put them higher up on the pole, but I couldn't. Yeah. Um. I wonder if we're gonna have any crossover at all here. Like, I think we will. Okay. So now we're at number four. Yeah. All right. So my number four is 2017's "The Killing of a Sacred Deer" by Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oh, man, <laughs> it's got such a unique story. So to not it. only is it in my top five, and not only is it my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos film, mm-hmm. it's my favorite. I think that it is my favorite A twenty four film ever. Really? Yeah. Um, the t- the amount of times that I've watched it, it being steeped in Greek mythology, mm-hmm. which is I love Greek mythology. The dialogue the the fact that he was able to accomplish making a horror movie that isn't necessarily scary in the tr- in the traditional sense the music the camera choices i think yorgos lanthimos coming to america leaving greece and 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 coming to america he has not made a bad movie mm-hmm. since coming to i think some of his greek films i don't love them but they're still the American in, ones, though. Yeah, the American ones for me are just so incredible. Um, and, you know, the idea of God fucking just bringing his wrath down on mm-hmm. this one man. And the, ch- the choice that needs to be made in this film of killing a member of your family. And I'm not going to help you in any way, sh- shape, or form. You have to choose it. And if you don't do it... Your entire family's gonna die. Yeah, it's horrific. The ending when he's spinning around with the the gun, the rifle with the uh, mm-hmm. the like the pillowcase over his head. I mean, the movie gives me chills, and it makes me uncomfortable in all of the best ways. 
and it has such a unique dialogue that works for the film. It's like, Yorgos Lanthimos' dialogue is always just so strange, but, but it works. It's it works so well, and he's just, in my opinion, I mean, I, I put him in my top five directors of all time, yeah. and uh, he's going to stay there. Yeah, I think for a very long time. And that man loves Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah, and Colin Farrell's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so it Killing, definitely revived his career a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, you think? Yeah. So, uh, Killing of Sacred Deer. All right. Um, my number, what are we on, four at this four, point? Four, yes. Cool. So, I know before I've said, like, this was probably my one of my top favorite, like, three movies ever made. But, again, like, going through, it made it to number four. I can't sit at number three. Yeah. Um, and that is 1992's Quentin Tarantino's, again, Reservoir Dogs. Ah, so um, double Tarantino, huh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, it, it's hard because it's, like... And it's weird, too, because I didn't even put Guillermo del Toro in this list. I was as wondering. Much as, as much as I love Guillermo del Toro. See, you don't even like him. I do like him. <laughs> I'll, I'll put, like, like at this point, um, probably Crimson Peak. No, no, that's, that's too high. I hate that movie. Number, number <laughs> six, Crimson Peak. Like, that's an honorable mention. Okay. Because it, it's just such a unique film to me. Yeah. Um, but debut film, Quentin Tarantino. So many actors. You have Harvey Cattell. You have Quentin Tarantino himself. You have Steve Buscemi. You have Michael Madsen. You have Tim Roth. You have Chris Penn. Like yeah. the list goes on and on. Yeah. And it always just sat with me of like how cool of a story where it's a bank robbery film that only takes place in the warehouse after it's happened. Yeah. And again, that's just a testament to Tarantino's storytelling of creating this already knowledgeable and known film idea and then flipping it on its head. Right. Yeah. And just creating like a different aspect to it and seeing like the nonlinear storytelling of like, you know, this is like every character of how they came to be here and what's going to happen. And then also starting the film off with that iconic scene of Tim Roth shot in the stomach, in the back seat. Yeah. Bleeding Screaming, out. I'm going to fucking die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just it had to make it, Somewhere on here, and Reservoir Dogs always sat with me where it's like, I love this film. And the music. The Very music good. is just fantastic. Always. He just blew his budget on Stuck in the Middle with yeah. you, but <laughs> fuck it, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Top, top three. three. So, uh, this film is also very nostalgic for me, but not in the sense of how... The Wizard of Oz is nostalgia for me. So, like, you know, The Wizard of Oz is nostalgic for me because I watched it so much as a kid. Mm-hmm. This film is so nostalgic for me because this actually sort of feels like my childhood. And that sounds maybe kind of weird when I say the movie, but um, of course I'm talking about 1972's The Godfather. Um, yeah, you nobody, are a mafiosa. I am very <laughs> mafioso. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much that I am in the mafia or my family was in the mafia, but the the whole Sicilian life that they live and the words that they say and the traditions that they do in the film, that all feels very nostalgic for me. Um, you know, the wedding scene that, that that's going on in the beginning of the movie and how they're singing and just all of that, it's just, it's so iconic and mm. it feels like my childhood. Um, that iconic ending too of like shutting the door. Shutting the door and look like her, like looking at him and realizing, like he's chosen this life. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's Ugh. it's incredible. It um, is probably one of the best films ever made. Yeah, like not only yeah, not only in my list, but just one of the top, greatest films it, ever it's made. It's definitely like top five 
best films ever made and yeah. most recognizable and most iconic. Yep. You know, uh, Al Pacino just being fucking great in it. Uh, the story, Marlon Brando, just oh God, like <laughs> it's just so I, you don't I don't need to say anything else. Like yeah. it's a film that if you've seen it, you know, it's incredible and it needed to be on the list. Absolutely. My number three pick is 1982's John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. yeah. I knew I knew The Thing it, had to be on it. It was going to make it no matter what, like top three. Yep. And I've said this before. I absolutely adore The Thing. I think it is the best representation of what practical effects can be. Yeah. I think The Thing itself is so great. Like how John Carpenter actually made it look terrifying and again, bringing it back, I love Lovecraftian stuff. Right. This is in itself a Lovecraftian story of just like this horror that you cannot fathom. Yeah. Even though you're visually seeing it, you are looking at it and you're like, what the fuck is all of that? Yeah. I'm going to go mad thinking <laughs> of this. Yeah. And then to top it all off with, again, a who is it mystery horror where any one of the crew members stuck in Antarctica could be the thing. Right. And we just don't know who it is. Yeah. And that perfect ending of you don't know if it is Kurt Russell or Keith David who actually is the thing. Yeah. And we've had like discussions before of like who we think it is, but the way that John Carpenter left it off where you have no idea always sits with me mm -hmm. and creates this incredible mystery even at the end where you yeah. don't know what the fuck happened. Yep. It's a good. It's a good fucking movie. Mm -hmm. It's a. It's a classic. Um, all right, top two. Ooh, nitty all, gritty. <laughs> all right, so top two. Number two for me is 2009's Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Uh, I I want written to and directed by Tarantino. Uh, I I don't even know. Like it took me so long to to be like, okay, this is my favorite Tarantino film. I bounced around with Django. I bounced around with Pulp Fiction, of course. Uh, I even had the Hateful Eight in there too. And for me, Inglorious Bastards just edged out them just by a little bit um, with just, honestly, the opening scene. Mm -hmm. The opening scene for me is like what puts it above everything else that he's ever done. I've said it well, when we did the when we did uh, the review that I think that that, that opening whatever 12 minutes or, or however long it is, is some of the greatest dialogue and it's just one of the greatest scenes to ever be put in American cinema. Mm -hmm. And I stand by that. Um, I think Christoph Waltz is acting oh, is, fantastic. is absolutely just the best. Um, obviously Brad Pitt in that movie is great. I think the di I think it's the greatest. I think it's the best dialogue that he's ever written. Mm -hmm. um, I love the fact that he made a an American movie that is mostly in French and German. Yeah, and that it's still just so accessible. Uh, and I love that he changed history in the film. Yeah, uh, it's it's a movie that I think is technically his best. I think that it's his best directed film. Mm -hmm. um, and. The there's, characters, man. They're so iconic. There's so many incredible scenes. I mean, when they're downstairs at the bar in the basement and, you know, they all have pistols pointed at each other's nuts. I mean, there's ju there's just so much. You know, it's funny. My, my dad texted me. My grandfather's like 90 fucking 
three or something now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's Christmas Day. And so it's yesterday as of the recording of this. And my dad goes, your grandfather's watching Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> and I was like, that's a man with good taste. And he was like, I don't even think he understands what he's watching. And I was like, <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he gets it. He, he knows. Um, it's just, it's, it's, in my opinion, his greatest film. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's ever going to top it. Um, but it needed to be. Yeah. yeah I, I will put like a honorable mention of Inglorious Bastards here because like it is a fantastic film. Yeah. And while I don't think it's my favorite Quentin Tarantino film, um, I do think that it is a fantastic film. And to put like three out of ten being Tarantino films, I don't think that's quite fair yeah. to like other films that yeah. we have watched yeah. and love. Right. Um, my second one you will be surprised with is 2007's There Will Be Blood. Yes. Which is my number one. I figured it would be. Because it needs to be. I know. <laughs> I guess we should do like a joint. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. Man, there will be blood. Um, our first podcast. Yep. We've talked about it, I think, three separate podcasts at this point. Yeah, so we did like the film breakdown. We did the breakdown of oh, Daniel the character Plainview. of Daniel Plainview. And then we did a revisited, I think, yeah. of There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just can't get enough of this film. Like, Daniel Day-Lewis is My favorite such... film character of all time is absolutely. Daniel Plainview. Absolutely. He is so interesting you know that he's the bad guy but you can't help but to love and see what he does next yeah and it's just such an intriguing story the the pacing of the film is literally perfect, perfect. like it's a masterpiece movie like i i've never felt more a film where this is basically a three hour long movie and it feels like I'm just sitting there for an hour and a half because yeah. everything is so well put together. I just actually rewatched it with uh, Jess, I don't know, maybe like a week ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, she, at the end, she's seen it like now, I don't know, maybe four or five times. And she and she she looks at me and she goes, you know, one of my favorite things about that movie is that it doesn't feel like it's three hours long. Yeah. And she's right. Like the way that Paul Thomas Anderson pace this film and just keeps the momentum going even though the first fucking like 12 minutes of it is just silent like there's no dialogue and it's all just visual storytelling uh and the character of daniel plainview and the character of eli yeah such a an incredible like contrast to each other yeah that i absolutely love where like one's for money one's for god but they're both for money really <laughs> they're both for power yes. i think you know um and it, it's it's the greatest in my opinion it's my favorite film of, you know it's my favorite film of all time uh i don't think there will ever be a movie that i watch that will take the place of it um i've seen obviously at this point hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films and there will be blood have, will I don't has never been and I don't think ever will be dethroned as my number one favorite film of all time. Yeah, uh, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the greatest directors of our generation, and I think that he will never accomplish. He'll never be able to reproduce the magic that was There Will Be Blood. Although mm-hmm. all of the rest of his films are also very very good and great, There Will Be Blood is hands down like lightning in a bottle yeah you know and that's why like it had to be my number two pick only because there is one other film that has slightly more rewatchability slightly more where i know the quotes i know the scenes much more and 
I always love to see it whenever it comes on. And it, it was hard because it's like There Will Be Blood is such a masterpiece. Yeah. But this movie, I just knew beforehand. Nah. <laughs> and, and we are talking about? Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. I, mean, I, I was going to put The Shining on there, too. And I was tossing it up between The Shining and 2001 and which one I was going to do. But 2001 just edged out a little bit just because of how epic it is. Yeah. I mean, the story itself of the Overlook Hotel and Jack and his wife and Danny, like, it's such... We've talked about it before on two separate... Three separate occasions. <laughs> also, yeah. yeah. Again, um, we've talked about it on three separate occasions. Like, it is such this tight-knit three actors and it's just so compelling and so terrifying to see the mental state of a man break down yeah in the weight of this massive hotel that is causing him to go insane yeah it's probably one of the if not the greatest uh films sh- depicting the descent of of somebody like yeah. a, you know like their mental stability and the like the the breaking down of a family like obviously like our our generations the shining i would say is hereditary yeah like the breaking down of a family like i wanted I think, to put hereditary somewhere yeah in here, ari aster just man so i i good. couldn't like figure out a figure, spot for yeah, him i couldn't figure it out um but yeah 100 percent, i agree i think that the shining is really just incredible Whew, we did it yeah some honorable <laughs> mentions that i want to say um taxi driver mm-hmm. uh the witch yeah Heat. I don't know if you've ever actually fully watched Heat mm-hmm. with De Niro and Pacino, but really good. No, we talked about it. Though. Uh, the Evil Dead Two, mm-hmm. Mother, which you didn't love, but I mm-hmm. love that film. The Hateful Eight, which is in there, um, and it comes at night. Yes. So it comes at night. Didn't make the cut only because there wasn't an eleven spots. Like if if there, <laughs> like, if there if was there, eleven, if there spots. was eleven spots, it would be in there for mm-hmm. sure. Like that, out of all those honorable mentions, that would be the one that would go go in the list over everything else. Yeah. Um, I love it. Comes at night. I think it's so fucking good. And um, Joel Edgerton, man, God, the best. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have a recommendation. Okay, so as of the recording of this, Christmas was yesterday, mm-hmm. and I went out like a few days before, and it was like kind of doing a lot of research on um, headphones mm-hmm. and I'm not the really the oh, type. Oh, we talked about this too, like after yeah. we turned off the podcast yeah, yeah. last week. So after um, doing weeks and weeks and weeks of research, I decided to go with these wireless headphones. Um, they're Sony. Mm-hmm. They have an awful name, but uh, they're called the Sony WH-1000XM4s. I don't get Terrible that. name. Yeah. Um, just call it something. D- yeah, just like something else. <laughs> But these headphones are crazy. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is also coming from somebody with very limited headphone experience. So, like, I the 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 last time I bought any headphones were like some not even like a name brand wireless headset, like normal, just basic, like in earbuds, simple, whatever, nothing crazy. Um, And then prior to that, I think I had like Beats, okay, some like old Beats that like were like really are trash. But these, these Sonys are, I did a lot of research prior to doing it. And I was like, okay, I need to like figure out like whatever it is. And apparently, Zach, Mm -hmm. headphone technology has gotten (laughs) to a point that I had no idea. Like, (laughs) like, It's not just you plug it into something and you 
listen? No, it's crazy. Like, they have noise cancellation now, which makes it, like, where literally... If I have them on, I don't even have to have music playing. Mm-hmm. You if just I, don't hear anything. Yeah, you just you hear zero. There's just not. You're just quiet. Weird. It's crazy. And then it has this thing called like, like it has like passive audio where you can I can put like my hand over one of the ear cups and then it'll it'll lower the music and it'll amplify the outside noise. So now all of a sudden I have I have like superhero hearing and everything is like really loud and I can like have a conversation. Hmm. It has like speak to pause. So if the if the if the headphones register that I'm talking, it'll it'll just pause the music. And then once it realizes that I'm not talking anymore, it'll it'll play. It'll pause the music if I take them off. Because it's got like an ear sensor thing in the back. It's oh, cool. crazy, man. That's how like my AirPods are too, where it's like if one comes out, it'll just stop yeah. the playing. And but I like, had man. no idea that like they were like this. But look, I will also say that it was a it was a Christmas gift to myself. Oh, okay. And it was a pretty penny. Like <laughs> I got it for a for a, a somewhat discount of like I think I, I ended up it ended up taking like eighty bucks off. So I got it for like two eighty. Oof. Normally they retail for like three fifty, mm-hmm. so like this is not a cheap headphone by any mean, but um, they, I am finding that I am listening to so much more music right now because of them. Obviously, it's because like they're brand new, so I, I always want to like use them. Yeah, but I mean, I haven't listened to like albums in like their entirety, like I like I am doing now with these headphones. Um, it's got really crazy. It's they sound incredible. The music is great. Um. They have this cool thing called 360 audio, which is like this thing where it it sounds like the drums are coming over from the left and the vocals are coming over from the right. And then and like the guitar is behind you and it, it gives you like this kind of like live kind of like feeling. It's it's really, really crazy stuff. Nice. Um, but again, they are they are they, they definitely cost a good amount, but um, they're really cool. So I highly recommend the Sony. I'm just going to call them the M4s because that's kind of what everybody else calls them. Yeah. But uh the Sony M4s are really, really awesome over-the-head headphones, and they're super comfortable. Like normally, you you wear a headphone and you're kind of like, all right, my ears hurt. This mo- this not at all. I've had them on for like three hours at a time and just no problem. Nice. So thirty-hour, uh, thirty-hour battery life, like just crazy <laughs> shit, man. Uh, really, really awesome headphones. So that's my recommendation. Um, so now that we are doing this new format, mm. I am going to choose a movie. For the next watch that we do, and then you're going to choose a film topic. Yes. So um, my film, cho- my choice of film that I, I want to do is Netflix's The King okay. with Tim- Timothy Chalamet. Uh, I am very excited to talk about it. <laughs> so I hope that you guys enjoy it. So again, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. So if you have Netflix, you can just watch it on there. Um, and that's it. Cool. So look forward to that. That's our top 10 films of all time. Agree or disagree, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a comment somewhere. We um, want to hear your stuff, too. All right, Zach, take us out. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Now, Frank, roll the, roll the credits or something. Roll, roll the credits. <laughs>